That's good. That's good yeah, stuff. Yeah. You got so much to share. You know, I'm I'm glad you're out there. Oh, and there's so many shows out there. There's a show for everything. You know. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And this this is um very interesting so far. I'm really looking forward to you. You kind of messed me up when you said that your dreams are uh, involved in this skinwalker type story as you you know as you may know my my podcast is called the dreamer cast and my name is mr x dreams dreams are kind of my thing <laughs> and uh we we've got to get into that one i'm i'm really sure. really interested in that yeah definitely so um this happened shortly after i moved out here to colorado so i live in southwest colorado um here in Durango um and we are probably 45 minutes to an hour from the four corners um so we really are in the southwest uh and then of course as soon as you get down to the four corners you're you're there in, in kind of the Navajo nation so uh that was one of the first areas that I explored um because you know I've done mountains in North Carolina I've done trees uh deserts have not been a part of my life though so decided that i would get out and give the desert a try um so i took my dog i have a i have two dogs now but at the time i had one um she's a siberian husky i took her out to uh go hiking with me when i was starting to explore you know the surrounding areas and we've been out to a few places we went out to some of the old uh pueblo ruins and um I kind of, you know, got into reading about the Anasazi, and they're very interesting too. Um, but that's a completely different culture. Um, so I started kind of with that, and decided to kind of work my way toward, uh, like the kind of toward the Navajo Nation. And one day I was out, very close to to the line, um, to be on the reservation, uh, but I was still on public land. It's kind of one of those just way out there areas um it's not like a fence or anything you just you cross the line and then you're you're on the reservation um so i was out it was a really nice day and we were on a hike and i ended up uh crossing over onto the reservation um and the reason i could tell is because i started seeing these uh i don't know what you call them but they're like it's almost like a small staff in the ground and some of them have feathers on them. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, they, something ceremonial is what it looked like to me. And I was like, Oh, I was like, I might be on the reservation. So I was like, I'm going to turn around and get out of here. I had a rifle on me. I just don't want to deal with it. Um, so I turned around and left and on the way back out, the way I came, uh, my dog kept, she pulled over to this grass and she would not get away from this patch of grass. So I let her over to the grass and she pulled out a bone. She pulled out this, it was a small bone, um, and I couldn't really, I mean, I couldn't tell what it was. Could have really been just about anything with how small it was. Um, it didn't look particularly human. Um, so I was like, you know, all right, come on. So she brought the bone with her. I didn't really think about it, you know, in that way, that mm -hmm. she might've been picking up something that didn't need to be picked up. Um, and so I let her bring it back to to the house all the way here in town. We brought it all the way back. Um, and it was 
probably about three nights later when everything started. Um, so I, I ended up waking up in, it must've been three in the morning or so. Um, it was pretty early and I had heard cause I had my window open, um, no AC in the house. It's nice and cool at night. I had the window open and I heard rustling outside of the window and I thought I had like a raccoon or something or maybe a possum or possibly a bear outside in the yard. So I got up and I kind of crept over to the window and I looked out and there was a mule deer standing like close enough outside of my window that I, I could have reached out and touched him. Um, wow. And yeah, yeah. And it was, it was just right outside the window and it had this really impressive rack of antlers on it i just remember being taken by this deer and i was like man i was like if i could get a picture of this it'd be really awesome um so i'm watching this deer and i'm trying to decide if i can reach back and get my phone get a picture of it and as i'm watching it the the back end of it shifted like it it didn't step sideways it's like its back end was in one position and then it was in another one. It was very, very subtle. But it's like I saw it flicker into a different position. And then I got this just really weird feeling. And I shut the window and closed the curtain. And I went out into another part of the house. And my heart my heart rate was up. And I could not explain what it was that it freaked me out. Because it didn't take a charging posture. It didn't make a noise. Um, there was nothing really that was startling about watching it move um but it made me feel like i had seen something really scary and and then i was like i was like okay this is silly so i went back in the room and I opened the window and i was gonna get a picture of it for my dad and it was gone so i'm like i'm like you know whatever maybe the the street light outside flickered and i thought i saw it move it was just a trick of the, of the light um and so I didn't really, didn't really think about it from there um, until a few days later when I woke up and the same one was outside, um, kind of right in that same area. And I, I just, I, I mean, I can't say for sure it was the same one, but I'm pretty sure it was the same one. Um, if not, it was the exact same size, same number of points. I mean, it was it was the same one and uh this time it was standing out and it was already in like a head dropped like ready to to charge position pointed up like kind of at the window like head down eyes up looking at me like it knew i was about to open that window and uh so at that point i did shut the window and uh i didn't look back out of it um, and so I just kind of got to, you know, got back into working and got busy and, um, it was pretty quiet for a while and I never, never did see the deer again. Um, and then one night, this is where the dream comes in. I had this, I had this dream that I had, I had a dream that I had gone out into that same area where the bone had been found. Um, and when I got there, 
there was an old man, an old native guy. Um, he was out and he was wearing a skin over his head. Um, so, I mean, it was just like a person with a skin over his head and his back, but it was my dog's skin that he was wearing. He was like wearing her pelt. And, uh, so of course, you know, in my dream, I was horrified, um, you know, cause it was my dog and I turned around and ran off and the guy was just kind of laughing as I was running away. And so I wake up from that one. And when I woke up from that dream, um, for the next like three or four days, I just could not shake the feeling that my dog was going to attack me, which is just totally out of character. I, I love that dog. She has never put a tooth on me. She's so sweet. And I just could not shake the feeling that she was going to attack me. I wouldn't let her sleep in my room for a couple of days. It's like, I just couldn't trust her. And, uh, I just kept having these, these dreams about this guy out in, in that area. And probably the, the final one that I had that really got me was, um, I had a dream that I killed my own dog and skinned her. So I had a dream that I killed her and skinned her and that I took the skin out to the desert and I went to the man and I asked him, I asked him, could I change form? I asked him if I could, if I could wear skins now. And he laughed and he said, no, but I can. And he took it from me and he put it on and he morphed into this just sick version of my dog. And he lunged at me and I woke up. And from there I was like, I was like, I might need help with this. Um, because that I started remembering that bone that she had taken out of that area. And I was like, man, I bet it's that bone. And so I went and she just scratched on the door. That's so weird. Um, so I went and, uh, oh, the, the very same dog that we're talking about. Yep. Wow. <laughs> but, uh, so I went and had a friend, um, he's a really good friend now. He was just kind of an acquaintance then. And, uh, I went to him one day after work and, we were off work. We were having a beer, and uh, I was like, "Hey, man, let's go. Let's go out and have a smoke, and I'll talk to you about something." Um, because he grew up on a reservation, so I uh, went and talked to him, and I kind of told him what had happened. And he was like, uh, "He was like, man, you need to take that bone back out there." Um, said I would take the bone back out there, go put it as close to where you can find where you found it as you can, um, and he said then I would leave an offering of tobacco. So I would just sprinkle tobacco um, kind of around the area. And so I was like, I was like, all right, that's, you know, that's a solid idea. Um, so I got home and, you know, I went out in the yard and I started looking for this bone. Couldn't find it. Um, I never actually did find the bone. Uh, so I went back to my friend and I was like, you know, what do I do? Um, what do I do now? And he was like, he was like, well, He's like, probably the best thing you can do is replace it with something else. It was like something that is valuable to you. Um, so I ended up taking an antler from a deer that I killed way back home, North Carolina, that I've had for a long time. It's like part of an antler from one of my first deer. Um, so I took it out and I made an offering and, you know, sprinkled the, the tobacco and, uh, and then I left. I didn't take the dog with me the second time. Um, I went back and 
felt a good deal lighter um, in the house. I was able to enjoy being around the dog again and, um, you know, didn't have that paranoia mm-hmm. that she was going to attack me. Um, and the whole experience just kind of ended when I went camping uh, near the area again. I decided to go out and camp overnight. Um, not too close, but I was I was in the vicinity. I could have walked a good little ways and been been pretty close to where I did all this. And uh, I went out one night and I was on a wood run. Uh, I went out to get some firewood, and I turned around and shone my light and leaned up against this tree, like a little juniper tree, was a deer. It was a mutilated uh, mule deer carcass. But it was like sitting up with its back and head against the tree and its leg is kind of splayed out in front of it and the whole thing was just like dissected down the middle. Um, and all the internal organs were removed. And that gave me a good scare. I actually have a picture of that deer. Um, but that was the last thing that ever happened. I went and told my friend that, and he was like, he was like, well, he was like, it might be a good sign. Um, so that might have been, you know, you being cleared of, of this entity or whatever it is. Um, because it had at first presented as a deer. Um, so he was saying that maybe that was kind of my, like, know, hey, you don't have to worry about this deer anymore. Yeah, you, you. He said it was probably a good thing and a warning, kind of like, hey, you've been released from this, but you need to get out of here and stop hanging around this area. Yeah. Um, and I have not been back out there. Wow, so many ideas are rushing through my mind as far as, especially this, the dream sequences that you had. That's insane. I mean, the times that you that you saw this shaman-like figure, was it always the same? The same man, the same face, the old native man. Oh, definitely, yeah. Same guy, same, um, same laugh every time. That is that is amazing to me, and it, and it's still, it kind of, it kind of, again reinforces this idea in my this schematic in my mind of how this stuff all works someone like a shaman who is in touch with with nature to such an extent not only do they live every day in amongst you know nature and natural elements but they make that kind of go the extra mile to be connected with with nature and the way the way things are sort of naturally supposed to be and it seems like a man like that would be able to take advantage of these these doorways these these gateways between one reality and the next i mean who's to say someone like that can't freely walk among the dreams of other people i don't know whether this individual is alive or not I mean, if if he's no longer alive at this time, if he's just a a spirit that presides over that area, then even more so would he be able to travel through people's dreams and just sort of mess with people like he did with you. It didn't seem like he was really trying to hurt you or do anything to, to, to destroy you. 
he was kind of just seemed like he was messing with you. Right. Yeah. Especially, especially the, he was like the way he kind of joked back and forth with you, 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 you coming up and saying, you know, something you would never do, skin your own dog and randomly ask this man, Hey, can I, you know, can I wear the skin now? And he's like, no, no, you can't, but I can. And then he just pops it on and starts messing with you even further. It Exactly. Yeah. It's almost like a whimsical character the way the way you describe it in my in my mind i i pictured him i mean was he smiling when he was doing this or was he serious or or what what was the what was he like yeah very much like smiling but like definitely a sinister kind of kind of air to it like a kind of like he was having wicked fun you know hmm yeah and it it could have been it could have even been like hey he doesn't get a lot of chances to mess with living people, you know, to have a reason to right. interact with people, especially someone like you. I'm sure if this individual is a real person or a real a real entity or personality, I mean, this could have just been a series of very interesting and connected dreams. I mean, that's that's always a possibility. I try not to let my the fantasies in my mind and the fantastic view of the world just carry me away, carry me away because it can easily. And I'm having tons of fun right now, just thinking in along those lines with your stories. But, you know, if this was an individual, a real entity, a real spirit or a human that ascended to some level that he would had this, this ability to, manipulate other people's dreams and invade their dreams you know this this could easily just be him saying hey there's not a lot of people who can see and talk to me there's not a lot of people who walk and randomly take something from my little area here so i'm just gonna have as much fun as i can while i can and then i'll let him off the hook right that is a fascinating tale among many that you've shared with us tonight here on the dreamer cast charles well and they you know the a lot of the the natives especially the people who still live on the reservations they i mean they are they're serious about it so i went and took a friend uh into the reservation in arizona to go get some of his documents for a job he's trying to get so i took him to his mom's house and um you know, we went in and had a meal and everything was totally normal until the sun started to go down. And then I noticed how quickly we got pushed out. Um, and I even remember his mom saying, like, come on, you need to get on the road before the sun goes down. Like it was 100%. Like they know something that you don't. Yeah, they, they know there's something out there in that desert for sure. Well, I, I really wonder if it's an actual, like a guy that's, that is physically walking around somewhere who also can dream walk and you know send or take even take the form of a giant mule deer and you know well i mean that's essentially people. what and that's essentially what a skinwalker is i mean it's mm -hmm. traditionally it's a person who practices um like certain types of medicine bad medicine which we would call 
we equate that more to something like black magic. Um, right. So it's kind of like the darker side of, of medicine, and they usually have to commit some atrocity, usually like a, a blood killing, like of a relative or someone close to them, um, and then they're able to wear skins. Um, and when they're wearing skins, they're able to kind of not interdimensionally shift, but um, like they can defy the laws of our dimension. Um, you have reports of people getting chased by huge wolves on reservations, like that follow a car at 75, 80 miles an hour, um, that type of thing. And they're always kind of just slightly unnatural in the way that they move. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that's just general skinwalker culture and that they can live for a really long time. Um, so I wouldn't think it's outside their own possibility that they can, they can interfere with dreaming as well. Yeah, and I, and I, I think it's particularly interesting when you think about the fact that these types of events and these types of, uh, characters, if you will, cultural, traditional folkloric characters, they exist where the people believe in them. You know, these things happen where maybe maybe there's something about human belief that could manifest these types of things in a way that we can actually perceive and be affected by them just just by being in that area. I mean, you don't see a lot of skinwalker stories in like, you know, oddly enough, I had a... Uh, one of my previous interviews, something that sort of seemed kind of uh, questionably could have been considered a skinwalker type of encounter, but it was in London. And one of those things, one of the things that we discussed was what are the odds of a skinwalker, a Native American legend type figure being in a place that where there's no, there's no really, there's no belief in that type of thing. There's no, there's really no, um, legs for it to stand on there, so to speak. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, and and there's you know, there's but they have their own legends that they see there, and and so if you go to South America, there's things that they see there that people have been talking about for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. You know, the people, the the lore and the cultural beliefs and the traditions and the religions and all this stuff that that people spend their lives believing in it's almost like it just kind of seeps into the earth there somehow and those things do happen to if there's some people you could i mean i couldn't tell you you didn't see what you saw no matter what i tried to say to convince you that you were totally you know bogus it doesn't you the sincerity with which you tell these stories leads me to believe that no one would be able to convince you that you know what you're seeing is just t totally all in your head internal and there's no external component am i right oh definitely i mean yeah yeah this this stuff this stuff affects people and it and it in some way or another it does happen and that's that's sort of what what I'm I'm trying to find out I'm trying to understand the mechanics of all these these things well, my my theory on it this is kind of a tangent um, but 
Oh, I think that I think that people, like human beings, have a deeper connection to to the earth around them than they think they do. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that certain cultures who still live closer to nature have stronger connections um, because us in the developed world um, are, you know, we, we have a pretty stifled connection to, to nature and to wilderness a lot of the time. Exactly. And I think that some people still maintain a stronger connection. I think I might be one of those people. And I think that it's, I think it goes beyond just a, a mind body thing. I think it is more of like a metaphysical or a supernatural connection. I think that there is an intelligent force at work in wilderness and that it can manifest in tons of different ways. Um, and I think that it could potentially explain Bigfoot encounters. I think that it could explain uh, any number of weird things that people see when they're in the woods. Um, but I think that it can, but it works anywhere you go that has, has, you know, wilderness. So mm-hmm. like the Amazon or the the desert, you know, um, they all kind of have their own personalities, if you will. Um, and what people see are just different manifestations of the same force, Yeah. which is, which I think is trying to communicate something. I just don't know what it is. And it's and not many of us are listening anymore. It's trying to self-preserve. It might be trying to self-preserve as well, but not really sure. Yeah, I I don't know. It it could be it could be both. I mean, if we were in more in if we were more in tune as a species with the earth, we would all prosper. The earth included. You know, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe there's a little bit of both in there. But there's just not many people listening to whatever that message is being sent out right now. You know, right. I have one thing that hasn't come up in our conversation yet. I mean, you mentioned being kind of a an out uh, an outdoorsman. You sound like a true, full fledged, bona fide outdoorsman. Uh, uh, you know, and that's something I I have kind of a a love for the wilderness especially cold like wood wooded areas like i've been i've been i mean i I love hiking and things like that but one of the highlights of my life was going up to um spokane washington and for when i was in the military for survival school and uh we they run like a month-long program where you're out in the woods pretty much every day you're and then there's like a escape rescue type of uh scenarios that play out and you're you're out in the woods for about a week straight at one point and you're learning evasion and navigation land navigation things like that and okay when i a couple of days before a couple of days before i was supposed to go out for that week long um field session I had I got this huge gash on my hand and I was kind of hoping I had to get it stitched up it was like in the middle of the night I was I was a uh, got this big giant cut and it looked like a meat cave on my hand it was really nasty and uh I got the stitches but they stitched it it was the worst stitching job I've ever seen 
So eventually, a couple days later, I just pulled it out. And it was still all raw and messed up. But I was able to kind of conceal it well enough to where they didn't try to kick me back and have me go with the next group to give my hand more time to heal. So my my hand was still really jacked up. But I got out to the field, did all the stuff that I had to do, and then went to sleep. And the next day I wake up in the morning, it's like, you know, it's probably like 20 degrees. It's, there's still melting ice and snow everywhere. And my hand had been basically completely healed just overnight. Just being, just Whoa. being, being the, the connection that I have with, with the woods being out in the, in the forest and the wilderness. And, you know, was, this is kind of a mountain area and, uh, I just I woke up the next day and all the air all the parts of sk- pieces of skin that were all purple and messed up the night na- the night before it was all like just like white and I kind of like just scraped it away and peeled it off and literally it looked almost exactly like it looks now like 11 years later so how much how well it's healed and it's almost completely gone now I could see the scar and where they tried to stitch it but that's almost exactly what it looked like after just like eight hours of sleeping in the wilderness. Huh, that is really interesting. Oh yeah, it's and it's that some of us, some people do have a connection with just being out in nature. And, so, and unfortunately, I, I don't have, I haven't had the a, a lifestyle that allows me to be close to that as much as I wanted to, but it's something that I I always, always look back on and wish that I could be closer to that more often, you know. So I kind of envy you yeah, yeah. in a way. Yeah, it's um it's definitely been an interesting uh an interesting ride kind of working in wilderness cuz I've been canoe guide up in Minnesota and I had a Bigfoot encounter there and then work, you know, working and living in western North Carolina. I've had tons of different weird experiences out there and I got out here started exploring the experiences here just everywhere I go and be in the wilderness I have these weird things happen to me yeah that's it seems like for some of us that's just how it goes I mean either you get you go through your whole life not seeing anything weird that makes you question reality at all ever or you see a hundred things that make you question reality it, doesn't seem like I, I I don't run into a lot of people that have only seen one weird thing in their life. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, me neither. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And that's that's why it's so such a pleasure talking to you today, Charles. And um thanks so thanks again so much for, for joining me and sharing these fascinating stories. Um real quick before we get out of here do you know I'm I'm trying to look up what episode of Sasquatch Sasquatch Chronicles you were on so that I could point people towards that as well cuz I know you yeah, were you were on the um mm-hmm. It's uh 368 Okay so Sasquatch Chronicles episode number 368 you shared It's called some... uh, Boy Scouts Encounter Sasquatch Okay, Boy Scouts Encounter Sasquatch. I'm going to have to check that out. Sasquatch Chronicles number 368, Boy Scouts Encounter Sasquatch. And the Confessionals Podcast, episode 125, 
if you guys haven't heard that already, the shape-shifting witch. Charles is full of stories and full of great experiences. As you can see, an excellent storyteller as well. Maybe you should be starting your own podcast pretty soon here, Charles. <laughs> you certainly have the chops for it. I have. Actually, I've thought about doing one. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, it's catching on these days. You know, maybe... Maybe we'll meet actually, each other at a convention one day. For, uh, wilderness survival, though. Wilderness survival. Oh yeah, yeah. You seem survival like that seems death. right in your wheelhouse, <laughs> right there. Yeah, and then throw in the occasional Bigfoot mention. You know, name drop once oh, in a exactly. while. <laughs> of course. All right, my friend. Thank you so much once again, um, my friends. You've been listening to Charles and his fascinating stories here on the DreamerCast. As always, my friends, enjoy the rest of your day, your weekend, whatever. I don't know when or where you're listening to this, but I hope you're well. Be the best person out there that you can be. And until next time, I'm Mr. X. You've been listening to the DreamerCast. Take care, my friends. And there you have it, friends. Yet another fascinating look beyond the veil. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope I've convinced you to take another step or two down the rabbit hole. Make sure you subscribe to the DreamerCast, so you never miss out on our next unique journey into the realm of mystery. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to drop me a 5-star rating on iTunes. It really helps me out, and I would very much appreciate it. I'd love it if you shared the show with your friends and family, anyone with a taste for the truly fascinating questions that we explore here. If you have a paranormal story of your own that you would like to share with me, head over to my website, MrXDreams.com, where you'll find a story submission page along with links to my merchandise, YouTube channel, and other ways to support the show. Until next time, my friends, I'm Mr. X Dreams, and I hope to see you again soon on the DreamerCast. Hello, my friend. I am Mr. X Dreams, your guide in this place that lives in the twilight between the waking world and the dream world. You're now listening to the DreamerCast. Here we explore the stories and ideas that, I believe, connect all human beings across both space and time. Monsters, magic, gods and ghosts, the multiverse, there is more to this existence than meets the eye. But I tell you the truth, friend, stay with me, and you and I will together witness the birth of new worlds. Welcome to my realm. Welcome to the Dreamer Cast. Hey there, my dreamers. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to drop me a nice five-star rating on iTunes. It really helps me out, and I would appreciate it very much.
And by the way, if you have a paranormal story of your own that you'd like to share here on the DreamerCast, head over to my website, MrXDreams.com. That's M-R-X-D-R-E-A-M-S dot com, where you'll find a story submission page along with links to my merchandise, YouTube channel, and other ways to support the show. If this is your first time here, welcome, my friend. I'm glad to have you. If not, welcome back, my dreamer. I want you to open your mind, listen and consider these stories and their implications. Understand that the machinations of this world may be stranger than you once believed. Now, let's get into some stories and discussion here on the DreamerCast. What you are about to hear are allegedly true stories told by and discussed with the very one who had the experience. Enjoy, my friends. Alright, my friends, welcome to yet another episode of the DreamerCast. Today we have a very, very special guest. I normally call all my guests special, but this young man in particular is of special interest because not too long ago, I'm sure you guys all know about the Confessionals podcast it's the one that I was featured on not too long ago at the time of this recording, run by a friend of mine, Tony, over there at the Confessionals Podcast. Episode 125, entitled The Shape-Shifting Witch, featured a man named Charles, had some fascinating stories, encounters with, for example, an elderly woman with very interesting and suspicious powers out in the mountains of North Carolina along with uh, several other paranormal encounters that Charles had. If you want to check those out, check out the Confessionals podcast, episode 125. Today, we have that very same individual, Charles, here to talk about some other stories. He's not done by any means. He's got a lot more to share, including a story about a haunted apartment, some encounters with hill folk, which could mean a number of things, and I'm excited to hear about what exactly that is, and even a potential skinwalker encounter out in the southwest. So please welcome, my friends, to the DreamerCast, Charles. How's it going? Fantastic, Charles. It is a Sunday evening. Um, thank you so much for joining us here on the DreamerCast, and uh, you're almost like a podcast celebrity now. This is your second interview, as far as I know. Maybe even you've done more. Have you done any other interviews besides the confessionals in this one? Uh, you know, I was actually on Sasquatch Chronicles as well. You know what? My mistake. I did hear about that on your uh, episode 125 of the confessionals. You did mention that, and uh, Tony, I believe, mentioned it. One of you guys mentioned that. So um, I must I must have forgotten about that. I listened to the whole episode. It was it was absolutely fascinating, and I wish I wish I was on that call because I had so many thoughts and ideas about that that I wanted to discuss. But we are going to talk about some some more stuff. I remember at the end of that interview, you mentioned that you had other encounters, and uh, I reached out to Tony, and then he put me in contact with you, which was very nice of him. And uh, here we are. Definitely, yeah. Tony's a great guy. I'm uh, happy to be here. I'm glad he put me in contact. Oh, always, always a pleasure and an honor to speak with you, my friend. So, let's let's get into these stories. Um, haunted apartment. 
I believe this one was in North Carolina as well, correct? That's correct. Um, so yeah, this was in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, it's just a pretty standard uh, townhome. Uh, they're called the Woods Townhomes. I'm sure anybody in Asheville knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, they're a little bit older, uh, but they're not not terribly old. I think they were built in 70s or 80s. Um, so they're a little older inside, um, and they've got a little history. I was living there with a friend of mine. I actually still live with this guy in Colorado, but uh, we were living together in Asheville, and um, we started getting just like some kind of strange activity going on in the house. Um, you know, just pops and bangs and creaks, stuff that happens in old buildings. Um, so we didn't think a whole lot of it. And uh, really the first thing that was, you know, really weird that happened uh, was I woke up one morning and I was laying in bed and I I was awake. I know I wasn't asleep. I had just rolled over to kind of face the door and uh, I closed my eyes. Like I said, I was still awake. And then I heard in my ear, it was a whisper and it said, Hey, mister. And it was a little girl. It sounded like a little girl had whispered directly into my ear. And of course my eyes just shot open and there was nobody there. I mean, we don't have children, no reason for a little girl to be in my apartment. Um, so that was really the first thing that happened. I didn't mention it to my roommate. I was like, well, you know, maybe I was asleep. Um, you know, maybe I just, just heard it in one of those weird kind of in-between sleep states that you get into. Um, so I ignored it. And it was only a few days later, I want to say it was like three or four days after that, it happened again, same time of the morning. I mean, it might have been on the minute at the same time, like 7.02 in the morning or something. And I did the same thing. I rolled over and I closed my eyes. And then I heard in my ear, it was the same voice. This little girl said, now that it's all over, we can go toward the light. And that really freaked me out. Um, that one kind of got me. And so I jumped up and I went and woke my roommate up. And I told him about the first one and the second one. And he was just kind of like, all right, <laughs> you know, calm down. Um, maybe you were dreaming. And I was pretty adamant that I was not dreaming. Um, I just, I know I was awake when it happened. And uh, it was pretty quiet after that for a little while. Um, not a whole lot happened. And one night we had a friend over. And uh, she's, you know, kind of into mysterious stuff like I am. Um, whereas my roommate, not so much. Um, so we had her over and uh, we were just, you know, having, having a few drinks. And um, I got to telling her about these voices that I had heard. And she was like, well, we should make a Ouija board. Oh, great. And of course, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what I said. I was like, <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. And she's like, ah, it's like, it's probably nothing. Let's just check it out. So, you know, we had a few drinks. I was like, yeah, all right, you know, whatever. She made a paper one, um, just like drew it on paper. And we didn't get anything out of it, um, nothing at all. And then a few days later, uh, my roommate was in his room in the morning and he was sitting on his bed on his laptop and he claims that he saw something like in his peripheral vision kind of fall like it just fell out of the sky kind of materialized um and when he 
folded down his laptop and looked, there was a hair clip sitting on his bed, um, like a kind of like a butterfly style hair clip that you pinch and it opens up on the other end. Mm-hmm. It was plastic and it was partially melted. And so then he comes and gets me and he's like, he's like, well, I'm pretty sure this just materialized and fell on my bed. Um, I got him to explain, you know, exactly what had happened, just like I just told you. And, uh, and we were like, man, that's, that's really weird. Um, so we called our friend again. We called uh, the girl that had come over the first time to see what she thought of it. And uh, she thought we should try, we should try the board again. Um, so at this point, we're kind of intrigued. Um, now that we've actually had something physically manifest itself, uh, especially to my roommate, since he was kind of the one that was skeptical the whole time. And uh, I believe he still actually has that hair clip. I'll ask him. Um, but he, uh, so he was into trying it again. He was kind of curious. And this time we used her board, which is homemade. She had it at her house. It's made of wood. She did all the wood burning on it really well. It's nicely made. I mean, it's definitely a work of art, um, but it, it scared me as soon as she pulled it out. But uh, we did. We went into a session on it, and we think that we contacted three different entities in the house, um, including the little girl. We did talk to a, a small girl. Um, I think we determined that she was like eight or nine years old um, and that she had died in a fire on that premises, but not in that building. This was right before the townhomes got built up. Um, there was there was other houses there, and she claimed she died in a house fire, kind of right on that spot. Um, another one we talked to was uh, like a, a middle-aged woman in her 40s, um, and she was alive in the 90s. She was killed by her brother, who was the other spirit that we contacted. Um, and we were able to, to verify that you know, there were several instances right in that time frame that could have been um, could have been these two entities. Uh, we couldn't really get a good name out of them. We were calling one of them uh, D. And she just kept giving us kind of a D and then a whole bunch of jumbled letters. We were calling her D, and uh, we think the guy's name was Mike because um, we're pretty sure that's what he was he was spelling out as well. And they kind of had a constant back and forth going on. Um, but they kept referring, all of them would refer to a fourth entity within the house, um, which was a demonic one. And we never could get any kind of contact with it. Um, we never really had any kind of interaction with anything that seemed to be more than the three that we had talked to. Um, so I don't know if we were misinterpreting what they were trying to say. It was maybe the little girl that would talk about it. So we think she might have been talking about Mike at the end of the day, and maybe we were just thinking she was talking about a fourth person. So this went on for some time, talking to these people. We had notes and notes, and we'd have somebody sit there and write stuff down for us and um, just trying to piece this together. Uh, We went through public records, tried to find more information, um, and we couldn't come up with with a perfect timeline for anything. Uh, we just know that the girl died way earlier than the other two were living there, and it. Um, but the other two did live in the apartment, um, apparently. 
Hmm. Um, so it kind of started to, started to get a little darker within the house um, after we had more and more sessions on the board because she started leaving her board over at our place so we could so we could use it. Um, and then it got into where I started using it alone, which you're definitely not supposed to do. Um, so I started using it by myself every now and then. Um, my roommate and I would work um, separate shifts. We were working for a wilderness program, and so we'd be out of the house for a full eight days while the other one was there. Um, and then we'd switch it up, and the other one would go to work. So I would be there totally alone um, in the apartment for a week at a time. And I got to where I didn't want to sleep upstairs in the bedroom. Um, it wasn't my bedroom that was the problem. It was the stairs. I did not want to – I didn't want to be on the stairs. Um, the bathroom was upstairs, and it got so bad that I started peeing in the yard that night. I would sleep on the couch downstairs and go outside. Wow. And I couldn't pinpoint what it was. I just did not want to turn that corner and look up the stairs. And uh, so it – I just got – got kind of to be a little weird and then one night I was laying on the uh on the couch and I was asleep and I woke up and I swear I saw a cup of water suspended in the air over a table so like over the coffee table right next to me hmm. and as soon as I like woke up out of my you know just kind of being groggy I looked, and the water in the glass was still shaking. So it was like I saw it in kind of an in-between sleep state, and when I was fully awake, the water in the glass was moving. Um, but, I mean, it was two or three feet up off the table. I swear I saw it. And you didn't you didn't hear it drop or anything? It just sort of was there? No, it was just kind of like back, back on the table, yeah. Wow. And the... Uh, Really, the probably one of the weirdest things that happened, I think, was uh, we had a friend come stay because I was going back to my parents' house to visit them, which was about seven hours away, and my buddy was going to be on a shift. So we had a friend come stay. He just needed somewhere to stay on his off shift. So I go, like, oh, yeah, you can stay at our place. Just you know, keep an eye on everything. And uh, we had not told him about anything that was happening there. I mean. Some people at work knew that we were having, you know, some weird experiences. But um, so we stayed and we got back from our trip. You know, we were like, you know, hey, how was how was everything? And he was like, man, that place is really weird. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, he said, well, I didn't want to go up the stairs to go to the bathroom. He said, I got creeped out by the stairs every time I'd go near him. Um, and it got so bad for him that he started going outside, too. And sleeping on the couch, just over the course of that that week, that right? He, was he there. said it started wow. beginning of the week. The first the first thing that happened because he was sleeping on the couch to start with. Um, but he said one night he had a dream, like one of those weird vivid dreams where, almost like a false awakening. Um, he said that he dreamed that he got up off the couch and went to go upstairs to the bathroom, and as soon as he had turned the corner, he looked up the stairs and there was a burned up girl standing on the stairway. Whoa. Um, and he says it was a dream, but he says it was very vivid. And after that, he didn't want to go up the stairs. 
Um, so he got kind of a similar feel to what I did with with being there alone in the stairs and and all that. Um, then unfortunately after that, uh, everything just kind of died off. We gave the board back to our friend and um, then we moved out here to Colorado shortly thereafter. Wow. So much, so much to absorb there. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's, it's interesting that, that you and I have, um, crossed paths because something you said in the, throughout the course of this story, and there's a, a bunch of things that I'm curious about regarding this. And, um, I'm going to sort of, we're going to discuss it. But the last, one of the last things you said in particular is of extreme interest to me and my, my world view, the way that I, my world view and that, uh, the way that I view the paranormal and the sort of veil that is separating us, this realm, the one that you and I live and breathe in from un- an unknown number of other realms. They're all sort of just layered in this same space that we're in, I think. And we're that's that's sort of the end game of the discussion around this story. So um, I found it really interesting that it sort of ratcheted up slowly with you, your situation in this home. It's just starting with a whisper or two. So, a couple of sounds here and there, and then culminating in the first whisper, her saying, hey, mister. And I really wonder what was meant by her saying, now that it's all over, we can go towards the light, because things continued to happen even after she said that to you, correct? Correct. Yeah, that was yeah, that was probably the one thing that I still trying to figure out, like what she meant by that. And how I was supposed to to be a part of it, you know? Yeah. I wonder if maybe that's a thought that she initially had when she first died. You know, assuming that this is the remnants or the echoes of a once living human soul, human life, if you you will. Perhaps it is that little girl, something that remains behind of this little girl who possibly died in a fire. You know, it's... In my experience, just like with your the people that you saw on the plantation grounds, like the Aunt Jemima type figure that you saw just moving her arms up and down with the, uh, you mentioned her, almost like she's hanging clothes, but there were no clothes there. Am I right? Correct. Yep. So she was just going through motions that she did. It's, it's almost like there's not a person there. That's just the echo of someone who was once there. Yeah, that's that's how I was trying to explain it to Tony. I couldn't put it put it in words properly, but yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like a almost like an imprinted memory of something yeah. that happened at one point. Yeah, yeah, or a record, a broken record, sort of thing. Yeah, you know exactly. And yeah, that that's one of that type of thing is so fascinating to me. That's why I was like, oh man, I wish I somehow was able to talk to join this conversation. That's what I love about paranormal podcasts in general and why I'm starting my own because I, I just gotta, I gotta talk to people about this stuff. It's fascinating to me. Um, so the, the paper Ouija board didn't work at all. You never got anything from that. Is that right? Never got anything from it. 
But once you got the real deal in there, the actual hand-carved, hand-burned, fancy one, that's when you started getting some results. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it was almost immediate with that thing. And how many people did you have using it? There was three of us using it um, the first few times. And then after those sessions, we had a friend come over to write things down for us. So we do have another friend that was present. And you guys and you all basically saw and experienced the same things you have you spoken to them about it and you know sort of gone um, over what oh yeah yeah we uh we discussed it at at some length for you know a good while after that we still bring it up every now and then kind of as a you know just a story to tell guests or something but um but yeah we definitely we talked in pretty good detail about it oh you're you're um, a brave bunch because that's one thing i would never i i, I mean that's I consider myself a pretty brave guy, but when it comes to things that I've heard the horror stories about, like Ouija boards, I, I don't know. I wouldn't. Have you have you guys experienced any negative effects as a result of the using the Ouija board? As far as you know, um, I personally don't think I have. Uh, and my friend, my roommate, uh, he's recently gotten pretty strongly back into religion, so um, I think that. But I don't think it was due to anything that happened with that. I think he was just feeling lost in other ways. So, um, And I'm not a religious person at all. So I really haven't had any effects that I can link directly to the use of that board. Um, but I think, I think we were dealing with something that was more attached to that location mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, and like I said, we left shortly thereafter, so I don't really know what happened. Somebody's got to be living there now. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering this: has your your other friends have your any of your other friends that, uh, particularly your your roommate, have has he had any experience seeing apparitions in other locations or anywhere else in his life? Or I'm trying to wonder. I'm trying mm-hmm. to think: are you the the conduit or the lightning rod for? the activity that was happening in that home being, being that you, you clearly have some kind of sensitivity. Well, that's kind of, that was kind of my thought too. Um, because I mean, who knows how many people that little girl whispered to before somebody actually heard what she was saying. Mm. And I think that might've been kind of the catalyst. Like when I reacted to it, that might've been the catalyst that, that she needed to, to try and communicate further. Um, but he hasn't mentioned anything. My roommate hasn't, um, as far as, as far as I know. I mean, we we're pretty close. I think I would definitely have heard about it. Yeah, if he he'd seen full body apparitions in the past, and and like you have, that's that's really crazy. And and what it's interesting you say that perhaps this poor girl has been just wandering around, whispering to people, trying to see if she could get some kind of reaction. She finally does. Maybe she goes and, you know, maybe she knew the other two people, the woman and the brother, and said, hey, you guys need to come over here. This guy can hear us, <laughs> you know. So that's when they start getting involved and coming around. You know, they could have been off doing whatever they were, whatever spirits do when they just feel like there's no one around who can hear them. And maybe she's, they crossed paths or something, you know, because if, if I'm correct, you heard this girl's whispering and her talking before you ever heard of the other two or possibly three entities in the area. Is that right? 
That's correct. But we do know for sure that they were communicating with each other, the three of them, um, because we had both of the, the two female entities mention each other. Mm. Um, he would mention the little girl. Um, and the little girl would kind of mention that D would kind of look after her and that she did not like Mike, which I think Mike is the other entity too. Okay. So, so was it the communication you were getting? Was it like a yes or no? Like you guys were asking questions and then they'll say yes or no, or were they actually spelling out information or spelled out? Yeah. Uh, We would get phrases like uh, the girl, or stop. Uh, we had Mike multiple times try and shut down the sessions. Wow. Wow. That must have been really, really um, unnerving, I bet. The tension that must have oh, been in that room. Goodness gracious. So to me, one of the biggest bombshells of this story is your other coworker sleeping over there for a few days and getting bombarded basically with a lot of the same feelings and in his dreams he sees a burned girl that to me is one of those little pieces of of um information or evidence even if you will about the connectivity i believe exists between all these different realms i i, I if you don't well i'm sure you don't know what my what my idea is but to me i think dreams is are uh, dreams are sort of a gateway between uh or maybe even like a window between this reality and another and others our human beings ability to uh, sort of see beyond what's normally available to us in our normal conscious state and the fact that someone i'm 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 sure I'd probably I'd be willing to bet that your coworker had no idea about this girl. I mean, did anyone tell him, "Hey, there was, you know, there's a burn a girl who died in a fire and we've been we've been contacting her and this and that." Did did you guys give him any kind of heads up on that type of stuff? Oh, no. He had no real details on that. He had just started working for this company, so he was kind of just he just needed a place to stay. Right. We we do we did eventually become better friends, but at the time, no, he did not know really of anything that had been going on there. Right. Yeah, and I I remember you saying that you know he's he he was totally uh, un uh what what's the word I'm looking for? He was not he was uninitiated into that whole that whole uh, world of the paranormal activity that you guys were involved in at the time and for that to happen to him and for him to see that basically unprovoked that really makes me it it's it's a it's a tally mark on the scoreboard in favor of my theory that dreams and you know the disembodied spirits ghosts what have you shadow people all these other mysterious entities there's sort of a there's sort of some kind of connection or 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 something there. It's one of these days I'm going to hear the right combination of stories and be able to kind of connect the dots. You know what I mean? But right right now it's just something I'm I'm really trying to build this theory, and that's why 
And I never expected this type of crossover to happen while talking to you, but there's all these little tidbits of information and they're all like breadcrumbs that I'm trying to track over the course of, of, of uh, producing this podcast. So that's, that's really, that's some really well, interesting dreams, information. Dreams are going to come into play again. When I tell you about the uh, skinwalker, oh, my man. dreams are going to come into play there. All right, let's, so let's we'll, get we'll it. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so the hill folk, it's something I'm not familiar with. <laughs> now this is a kind of a more of a collection of shorter encounters. Um, and this is this is real life right here. These people are 100% flesh and blood. Me and Tony talked a little bit about like people out in the Pine Barrens. Um, North Carolina has areas like this too. Um, Western North Carolina people that have been up there for you know, uh, just really long periods of time, families and, and whatnot, and old mountain clans. Um, but you don't usually see these people unless you're pretty deep out in the woods. Um, and I think probably one of the, one of the most standout experiences I had with these people. Um, I mean, I've told this story to campers before at jobs and they couldn't sleep for, for a week. Um, we were out on the Blue Ridge Parkway, uh, kind of outside of, we weren't too far outside of uh, Brevard area of North Carolina. Um, we were pretty far out there, uh, and we we're on a backpacking trip. We were several days in, so I mean, we've been we've been backpacking away from the Parkway, so we were pretty far out at this point, um, and we we were in camp. Uh, just you know one night and it's because it was a therapeutic program um we had a lot more in dealing with potential flight risk of students that didn't want to be there and um but without going too much into the program we did have to have what was called a boot line at night so everybody would put their boots in a line near where staff can see them um so so when we get up three times a night to do night checks, to do head counts, we can check the boots and make sure first that nobody's boots are gone. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a sure sign that somebody's run. So I got up one night and I did my check and I had my, I had my red filter on my headlamp. Not so I was, you know, so I didn't wake everybody up. And cause I sleep under a tarp there. Uh, as a staff, you don't sleep in a tent. You sleep under a tarp between two tents so that if you need to jump up and go, you can. Um, so you're kind of sleeping out in the open. So I sit up cause I heard a noise and I sat up and it was about time for my night check anyway. So I did my check and I turned on my red filter and I checked the boot line and the boot line was under a low tarp. So I could see the boots, but just the boots. And like, that was pretty much it. And I counted the boots and there was one pair too many, which is not, what usually happens. There was a bunch of children's boots and then there was a pair of big boots at the end, an adult pair of boots. So I turned on my, my white filter. I like flipped over to white light. And as soon as the white light hit the area, I could see that there was a pair of legs standing in those boots. And as soon as the light hit them, the, these feet just turned and walked off into the woods. So I jump up, um, and just see this guy. It's just a, 
big figure just walking off into the woods. So I do a head count and everybody in my group is there. And I'm just thinking, what was that? Like, who does that? Hmm. Just stands in your camp. Um, so the next morning we're up and we're making breakfast. I was overpacking some of my things up and I was looking at my map and I could see over the top of the map, this pair of boots walks up, same ones. It was the same guy, broad daylight now. Um, so he walks up and he's just looking at me, just blank stare, um, just an old mountain guy. Um, he, well, he looked fairly young, but he was, you know, grizzled and sunburned and had a big kind of wispy beard and, I mean, just typical hillbilly. Um, but he would not say a word. Couldn't get him to say anything. Um, I was like, you know, I was like, hey, man, I was like, you gave me a little scare last night. I was, you know, I was like, you lost or um, <laughs> what have you and couldn't get him to respond. I was like, I was like, you want to look at this map with me? I can direct you to, you know, wherever. And um, this guy just walks off. He has a, he was carrying a, a Pulaski with him, like a pickaxe. And he picked it up, put it over his shoulder and just walked off. And I was like, man, this is too weird for me. Uh, so we packed up and we moved on down the trail a little ways. And uh, we woke up um, a few nights later. It was probably one of the, one of the scariest things that's, it didn't even happen really to me. I was there, but uh, as our female staff member was asleep under the tarp with us. So we had two males and one female staff. She was the only female there at the time. It was a boys group. Um, she was asleep and she woke up uh, in the middle of the night to a, a man braiding her hair. He was just crouched down over what? top of her braiding her hair and he was wearing night vision goggles i don't know which part of that is weirder she quit no i I bet she did i i really i really am i don't know what is more unnerving a guy mountain man braiding a woman's hair in the middle of the night or the fact that he's somehow wearing night vision goggles that's weird. Oh, yeah. I mean, she said that when she looked up and saw him, she immediately thought, like, Silence of the Lambs, like, like it was, like, just like that. She said it looked like some creepy guy in night vision goggles just leaning over top of her face, braiding her hair. And she screamed and jumped up, and he ran off. And um, we didn't really see we didn't really see a whole lot after that on that trip um, with those particular folks. I think there was more than one of them. Um, because she said the guy that was over her didn't have a beard. So I think it was more than one. I think they're ginseng hunters. I think they're illegal ginseng harvesters. Hmm. And I think they just try to scare people out of their area. Wow. But, I mean, you got to be going that level all night just to mess with people like that. Did he at least do a good job with the braid? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, yeah. It wasn't too bad. She uh, said he was pulling pretty tight, I guess, because it woke her up. but yeah, I mean, she immediately pulled it out. She just started messing with her hair. She couldn't take it. Oh, I and bet. She, she left that day. Uh, yeah, I would have shaved my head if I was her. Yeah. yeah. Who knows? Who knows where that dude had been? Right. Goodness gracious, man. And is that so? Yeah. That's I guess that's a kind of a common thing to come across people. Just that that's pretty deep out in the woods, though. I would assume. I mean, it is. It's- it's out there. Um, and there was, I mean, there's other things that happened out on the parkway. There was, uh, not, not too recently, but it wasn't too long ago either. A, uh, a woman was found just tied to a tree out there. Some guy had tied her to a tree and just left her there. 
Um, and she was out there for a couple of days before they found her. Um, but people will go out and they'll drive big long nails into roots and then they'll shear the top off to make it a spike so that mm. like trail runners will get their feet impaled. And it's, it's crazy. Jeez. Was the woman found alive? Yeah, she was found alive. She was just hungry. Yeah. Cold. I bet dehydrated, hungry. Yeah. Goodness. But I, I had a guy stalk me out there. That's a whole other story, but, um, I did actually tell that one on a, di- a totally different podcast, but oh, so you're you're, yeah, you're getting pretty me. prolific here with these interviews, huh? 